This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you very much for being here with me. Great to have you, as always. Um, I appreciate very much getting a chance to hang out with you today. It is a snowy day here in New York City. It is uh, the middle of a blizzard. We're in the middle of a storm. And it is the, well, you can always tell when the East Coast has rough weather, it dominates the news cycle for quite a while. So that's what's going to happen the next 24 hours or so. We can expect that there will be um, lots of stories about the snow. Um, and you'll also see this sort of continued back and forth over Jeff Sessions and um, the Elizabeth Warren she persisted uh, that that became a meme i just discovered that last night that elizabeth warren hanging out and uh making a mockery of senate rules and then being told that she has to stand down and she can't attack jeff sessions using the words of someone else hiding behind the words of someone else um that was the big news story yesterday i i have to say because i'm always honest with you about everything uh it's just been a slow news week that's really the truth of it uh, I wake up in the morning after spending usually well into the night uh, researching and looking uh, looking at different stories and doing different uh, uh, you know polls of of background information on stuff. Uh, there's just not a whole lot that's been going on this week of tremendous interest to the news media, other than the Trump tweets here and there. I don't know if they're ever going to get bored of that. I think that there's a possibility. Um, there's a possibility that we're just going to continue to see wall-to-wall coverage of uh, Trump tweets. And we'll have to get a sense, I think, in the next few days as to whether this criticism that I was trying to avoid yesterday, I was trying to be a little patient uh, about how Trump hasn't given us the tax cuts and Obamacare is on the back burner now, because it's only been three weeks and already you have seen some pretty key executive orders. You haven't seen much of an outline from the Congress as to what their plan is going to be. But I would wonder, and this is this is a, a thought experiment. I haven't actually done the research. I was thinking about it this morning as I was walking to get coffee in this blizzard in New York City. Us East Coast people, when there's a blizzard, we like to complain about it. I'm sure people listening in Minnesota and Alaska are like, you call that a blizzard? It's a couple of flurries. When I was walking, I was thinking to myself, I'm sure if we were to go back and look at this same time period um, with, the, with the beginning of the Obama administration, there would be a focus on 
what not just what the administration is doing. And see, this is where you start to see the magic of the information operations and the perception management that goes on with the uh, liberal media. You'd see a lot of stories that would put into people's minds that there are certain issues that need to be addressed right away. You know, in in advance of Obamacare, there would just be general news stories about people who are kicked off their health care or they can't get health care for pre-existing conditions. There'd be general news stories about any major agenda item that the Democrats would want to see the administration tackle because it's get it's sort of priming the pump. It's getting it ready. It's preparing the ground, laying the groundwork for what is to come. With the Trump administration, what you see is a fixation on minutia constantly. Uh, sure, there's there's been the executive order on immigration, and, and this has been treated like it's a, a tremendous issue that affects all Americans. And the reality is it doesn't. And it, to me, from a, a plain reading of the statute, the executive order is plainly constitutionally sound. And do I think it's great policy? I mean, the, part of the problem of counterterrorism policy is that every time you do something, someone can say, well, that wouldn't have stopped this attack or that will have this uh, counterbalancing effect. You know, the, the, if you do this, you're going to upset this group. If you do that, you're going to have a problem with this. Uh, and that's with everything, really. Whether we're talking about surveillance of terrorists uh, in the homeland or we're talking about drone strikes, whatever the issue may be, you're going to upset some people. I also think it's fascinating that the massive uh, bureaucracy of Immigration and Customs Enforcement and our Byzantine rules for legal immigrants, at least, to get here, uh, we, we assume that this, is, that this is all the way it's supposed when they want to, at least, they assume, because on other issues, of course, they just ignore the, the law entirely, but they assume that these laws are uh, they're, they're sacred, and, and the time periods and the horizons for how long it takes for someone to come here, this is all... This should be unchangeable, at least unchangeable by a Republican president, when it's in their favor. You know, one thing that's fascinating to watch it watch play out is the pretense among many people, including journalists out there that I follow and read, despite the fact that I disagree with them on everything, but I'd like to know what's going on. I'd like to know what the the big fancy journalists with the big fat paychecks and the huge platforms, what they're spouting and what they're... Uh, Masters in the media are telling them they have to say, you know, the people that run the various networks and, and all the rest of it. And uh, one thing that I see continuously happening with all of them now is that they don't want to come forward and admit that this new this constitutional love that they have is completely newfound. This idea that they want a limited government, that they want restraints on the executive branch, that they are concerned about how powerful the executive branch has become. That's all new stuff for them. It just sprang up out of nowhere. Sort of like Ivanka having her clothing lines dropped by major department stores. That just, it's just the market, man. It just happened. Sure it did. But now you have these new constitutionalists out there and they will apply the law where they see fit, and they will disregard it. And what you see is, and by doing that, they're actually undermining the Constitution more than if they just rejected it outright, I think. Because if they were open about their rejection of the Constitution as a limiting document for their preferred forms of, of government, and 
if they're open about it, at least then the American people could make informed decisions about what the Democrats really think, how they really feel, and, and how the media, which is an extension of the Democrat Party, or maybe the Democrat Party is an extension of the media. I know people go back and forth on that. Um, but that's our reality right now. They pretend to care about the Constitution, and they want to use it to constrain uh, the Trump administration. What's funny to me is that all the conservatives and Republicans that I know, for almost to a person, wouldn't go along with any of these horrible things that the left thinks Trump is going to do that would be quasi-fascism and, and would be uh, far too much for the executive branch to do. Uh, but we have the disadvantage of principles. And that's really what, what it comes down to. If you have beliefs that you will stick to that are more important than short-term political wins, if you think that there's something more foundational to our society and to our day-to-day -day life than just having your guy or your gal be the one making the decisions and, and the one with the power, that's, an, that's a disadvantage. It's a disadvantage that we freely accept because of obviously the, the calculus that's made here is that some things are more important than uh, short-term political gain. But it, it does seem to me more and more that there's just a, a complete uh, and open hypocrisy you know, on the left, you have open hypocrisy. On the right, you, they say we have a disavowal of of truth or of facts. Uh, we even had what was it last week? Alternative facts coming out as a as another meme. And I, I start to wonder also how much these memes and when I talk to you about all of this, these various hashtags and the stuff that pops up when we're all reading our you know, reading on our screens or in the newspaper, mostly on our screens. Uh, if this is just thing, if these are things that people in the media are fascinated with, and no one else really cares all that much, I, I start to think that that may be uh, that may be the case more and more. Um, and I also start to think that there that there must be a, there might be a future where people just decide to disconnect from social media en masse. I, I think that's I'm, I think we may be heading there, where everyone realizes that it's it's not really worth the trade off to just be constantly sharing every, even if you're not a public person. I mean, if you're a public person, you, you're signing up for it, right? I, I sign up for this, at least for now. Um, but if you're not a public person, and, or you know whether you are or not, I think it really is true for both, you recognize that you just become, like you're in the matrix without the superpowers. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not always fun to feel like you have to, con and there's so many people who embrace this so much, and I think unfortunately now, in a in professions journalism you know, news media that tend to oh, that, that that tend to award narcissism at some level reward narcissism at some level um, social media has made it even worse than ever right I mean we're all just it's just and and you can play the game or you can sit on the sidelines and whine and everyone's like oh why aren't you you know why aren't you snapchatting more oh maybe it's because you don't have enough snapchat followers you're just like okay fine so I've got to just spend my life uh, taking photos of things and trying to be witty in 140 characters or less and just go with it, you know, because, because I feel like, well, for, especially for me, I'm doing five hours of radio day now. I feel like that's, this is my interaction with all, this is my social media. This is, although don't stop tweeting at me. I love that. And, and uh, also keep writing me on Facebook, of course. I'm just philosophically speaking here. Um, but anyway, the, the Democrats, the hypocrisy is out in the open, getting Buck back on track here for a moment. The hypocrisy is out in the open. I don't think they care. And we've reached a point now 
where they point they they point at what they say are are lies or untruths or mistruths and claim that that is representative of the whole. And we point at them and say, well, you only care about the truth or facts now you didn't before. You only care about the Constitution now you didn't before. So you have no credibility on any of this. I also have to stop and wonder for a moment. I'm, I mean, I'm sort of a contemplative mood this morning. Maybe it's because the city's blanketed with snow. It's so beautifully quiet on the streets when there's this much snow. In a lot of in a lot of ways, I I think it's I think it's great. Um, this is the first day in weeks where there has not been uh, a a chorus, a symphony of jackhammers right outside my window during the uh, the noon show. Um, this is the first time in weeks that I haven't had just the loudest noise imaginable. But also, you just you can't people's voices carry in the city and the honking on the street. There's so few cars in the road. It's so beautiful and peaceful in a major city when there's this kind of snow. I know that the people are like, oh, Buck, but what about all the flights that are canceled? I'm not saying that everything is good. I'm just pointing out that it's nice and quiet. And more and more, I, I start to find that I, I value peace and silence <laughs> with each passing year. Peace and silence, uh, except for radio, because that's awesome, because that's intimate you get to hang out with people you're with your friends i'm i'm hanging out now with my friends is what it feels like it's as though i'm well i am in a sense sitting in my living room because i am um, but it's like i'm sitting in my living room talking to all my favorite people and that's it's a blessing to have that as as your job that's for sure um i kind of lost the thread of where i was going on the mono today on the monologue but you got some you got some of the broad strokes i do think i'm going to go back and do some research today and maybe tonight on uh, but I got to come up with a with a name for this, right? So we have the noon show and the night show, I guess. Um, so during the night show, uh, six Eastern, AmericanNowRadio dot com is where you want to go. By the way, if you want to download that podcast from last night, if you missed it, go go to AmericanNowRadio dot com slash podcast. Uh, AmericanNowRadio dot com slash podcast. Uh, but I want to do some research into what the stories at this point, what what the week one, week two, February stories were like under Obama, that weren't explicitly political, but that were issue-based versus what they are now. I, I'm sure it, it's people have pointed this out with other things and they've done some research into how the problem of homelessness, this is a very famous one, homelessness becomes a huge issue when there's a Republican in office and it disappears at the national level like magic when there's a Democrat in office just because, right? Because people are looking, the, the news is a narrative, as you all understand, and people are always looking for ways to justify and support their view of the world around them, especially journalists who are the ones who construct this narrative. And so Republicans in office, that means that evil, heartless capitalists are running everything. That means there must be, it must be harder for poor people. I'm going to go do stories on homelessness now to show that. Democrats in office, oh no, Democrats care about poor people. So I'm not going to do stories on homelessness. I'm going to do stories on you know, the effectiveness of uh, anti-poverty programs in the inner city or something like that. I mean, anyway, you, you see what I mean. And right now, I think this past week, that they've just run a little dry on the anti-Trump oppo stuff. So they're just going after the tweets and everything else. But they've, they don't want to cover other things, really, other than how terrible Trump is and how bad his executive order is. And it's just not the... I, I think a lot of Americans see that executive order and say to themselves, this doesn't affect me at all. I, I don't really care all that much except as this plays out as a political issue. All right, I realize I'm going longer. Um, 888 team Much more coming. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. 
Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. So, you know, here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. You have um, the New York Times, the front page is Supreme Court. Now, this is our main story right now. Supreme Court nominee calls Trump's attacks on judiciary demoralizing. Um, Judge Neil Gorsuch, Gorsuch, uh, President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, privately expressed dismay on Wednesday over Mr. Trump's increasingly aggressive attacks on the judiciary, calling the president's criticism of independent judges demoralizing and disheartening. Uh, who cares? First of all, I'm as I said last night on the show, I'm in favor of um, Gorsuch saying whatever he has to say to keep Democrats off his back. You know, I, I think a little bit of playing the game here is probably a good idea. I don't really think that it's necessary for Gorsuch to have to sort of charge up the hill and uh, you know stand. First of all, he's he's being appointed by the Trump administration. Doesn't mean he has to agree with Trump on everything or anything, really. I don't I don't I don't care, but I just think this is fascinating because this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. What's the narrative? Trump is bad. Trump is destroying the world. Trump is the worst thing ever. And um, that's, you know, that's something that you can find stories for, I guess, anytime. So the fact that Gorsuch didn't like Trump criticizing judges, why can't Trump criticize judges? Obama criticized judges. I played some of that audio last night, too. That's this is nothing. This is nothing new. The, the president's not threatening any judges. I mean, he's not he's not crossing any lines. He's just saying he doesn't doesn't like these judges or doesn't like a judge's opinion. And I mean, whether you you can agree or disagree with his assessment, but this notion that judges are just beyond reproach or above reproach is just too much. It's nonsense. I don't know why anyone buys into it. Um, but the New York Times is going with it here again. This is the second or third largest newspaper in the country by circulation. I think it's definitely up there in the top three or four, and. Um, um, you know, it's, as you look at this now, this is, this is a great example. I'm going to try to pull more examples of this tonight. So be sure to tune in tonight as well. Uh, because this is just so obvious to me. This is the main news story in the country. This is it. This is what people want to read about, whether Gorsuch thinks that Trump, um, you know, that Trump is saying something about judges and Gorsuch doesn't like it. I mean, I, and I know I, I become part of the problem here because I'm like, Buck, if you say who cares, then why are you telling us about this? But the reality here is that this is every day, all the time. This is only interesting to you, whether you're a journalist or a person that's reading what journalists are writing. This is only interesting if you, if you think that Trump is, is on his way to being Mussolini, you know, maybe Hitler. This is only interesting to you if you just want to read bad things about Trump all the time. Who cares? 
there's nothing. Uh, this is a, I mean, they're writing about Trump's Twitter helpers. This is a private conversation that's then been spoken about to the press. And and this is just a, a prime example of what I mean here. So Gorsuch doesn't like it. I mean, he's a judge. He's going to stand shoulder to shoulder with his fellow judges. Great. I hope this guy gets in there. They, by the way, they're they're nice to Gorsuch today. Just wait until the confirmation hearing happens. And then all of a sudden, he, they're going to be just one version of another after uh, one version after another of, you know, when, when did you put away your KKK hood and when did you stop beating your wife? And it's just going to be appalling. Um, we want to finish up a little more about Elizabeth Warren. We can talk about that back in a few minutes, team. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. We're joined by David Harsanyi. He is a contributor to The Federalist. David, great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so tell me a bit about your, your, what, what, what do you think of all the attention paid to Elizabeth Warren yesterday? I just wanted to, uh, my sense of it was, does, who cares about this other than people that love Elizabeth Warren, which is definitely a minority of the population? <laughs> sure. I mean, Listen, I'm of two minds here. I, do, I actually don't think uh, debate should be shut down. Uh, I, I say let them speak. And my first inclination was to say let Elizabeth Warren speak as much as she wants all the time. I think it's helpful for Republicans. But shutting her down has actually made her even, you know, a bigger, made her louder in a way. She's all over the place. Never has someone silenced been so loud and so so talkative, you know, in, in history. So I think Republicans win when Elizabeth Warren is the face of the Democratic Party. So I think that if they're making that happen, though, I doubt I doubt Republicans have it pulled together in that way. But if they do, that's a great plan, in my opinion. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren, what does she stand for? Because people always talk about her as a, a leading light of the progressive caucus in the Senate or whatever. She's a leading progressive leftist. What does she want? If Elizabeth Warren were president tomorrow, do we have some sense of how America would be different? I'm just curious what, you, what your sense of this is. I, I know this is like a thought experiment, but <laughs> what, how is America different if Elizabeth Warren's running the show? Weirdly, I or think. Or do we America just not know? Be, yeah, I mean, I actually think she's, she's sort of a bully as well. And I think that, um, you know, her anti-trade sort of, uh, you know, populist rhetoric uh, has something to do with what Donald Trump is talking about as well. But generally speaking, I think that you'd have someone who wants single-payer health care plans and basically, and, I, and I'm not throwing around this word, you know, as I often do. I, I mean it. I think that you'd have a socialist president. And, 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 you know, America would be very different and look very different, though I doubt she could get a lot done. I just don't think that we're there yet. I think that she's a good face for the Democratic Party or at least a sort of grassroots effort there. But I don't think that works in Ohio or Indiana or Pennsylvania. Not yet. So you don't think that she's really viable at, at the national level, but I don't. But when so I say much... that, everyone's like, that's what they said about Donald Trump, you know, and look, right. now you've got what you asked for. Well, well yeah. Just because, you know, people were wrong about one person doesn't mean they're wrong about every other person forever. I think Donald Trump has an appeal that a lot of people missed. 
I don't believe that Elizabeth Warren has an appeal that a lot of people are missing. I just don't. And maybe I'll be proven wrong again. Who knows? How do you think this whole EO thing, the executive order on immigration, is playing out uh, for the Trump administration at this point? I mean, what do you sort of uh, I'm asking for kind of like winners and losers on this one. We're all losers and winners. I think that, you know, someone asked me to grade Donald Trump recently, and I thought to myself, I'd give him an A-plus and an F-minus at the same time. You know, some of the stuff he does I love, and some of the stuff I think is a disaster. But I think people who are on Twitter and punditry and reporters don't realize that the world is a lot bigger than social media. So when they're talking about, for instance, the Muslim majority Muslim country travel ban, I saw stories calling it a disaster and, you know, all over the place. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the truth is that when you look at polling, a lot of people like the idea. So I think Donald Trump isn't doing as badly as perhaps people in the media believe he is. Yeah, I also think that there's a a part of this is the once again, the media, the opinion class and and the, the Democrat establishment and a lot of Republicans, too, especially the Republicans who were part of the the foreign policy establishment, they are just so up in arms and outraged over this issue of the executive order that most Americans, it doesn't affect them at all. And, and I, I think that this widens the gulf a little bit for a lot of people. They're like, well, this is we're supposed to get. So and look, I, I, I do think and I, and I was saying it immediately, there were some aspects of this. Well, that's just not smart policy. I think it's legal for the president to do it. I just don't think it's a, I don't think it's a good idea. But it's also not that big a deal, or, or, or at least I think to most Americans, it's just not that big a deal. And it's being made into something much more than than it is. Right. I mean, when, when people go right to 10 or 11 and start calling it, you know, calling the whole thing, you know, Hitler-esque and, and start talking about Nazis and stuff. Yeah, this is internment camps with FDR all over again, although they never throw right. FDR's name in there. But I mean, that's that's what people are making it sound like. Right. Right. Right away. You know, that right away they go there. Meanwhile, when you really look at this thing, it's it's far less than that. I agree. I think the green card holder part, at least, wasn't smart. I don't think they rolled it out. I think in, a, in the right way, I think they could have taken a little more time, vetted it, and done a much better job. But the idea that Barack Obama can, with a signature, uh, legalize millions of people in the United States, but Donald Trump can't take seven countries and temporarily uh, put a travel ban on, on immigration of refuge, you know, or refugees is kind of uh, amazingly hip, hypocritical of, of them to say. But moreover, I just don't think most Americans view it that way. I think they think the president should be able to dictate uh, to some extent our immigration policy and that there's nothing wrong with being careful when we have immigrants coming from countries that are a and you know in anarchy or b you know a place where terrorism uh, is known to come from I, I don't know how effective a ban like this would be but to call it to, to, to go over the top as they did it just diminishes any case they have for, you know for this or things to come because they're just it's just always yelling And I I feel like whether we're talking about the elimination of the filibuster for judicial nominees short of the Supreme Court or the extension of executive power from the White House and and executive overreach on on a lot of issues that received national level attention in the news cycle discussion at the kitchen table in a lot of homes across the country. There were these things that came up where people would say, well, you know, you, you may like this now, but when the Republicans are in power, you're going to hate this. 
and they, they they pretend that those discussions never happen now because <laughs> that's exactly where we are. And you mentioned Obama with, I mean, Obama, he of the pen and the phone. And if Congress doesn't act, I will. The overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly powerful executive branch is it, it, it's just an extension of what's going on with Obama before. And, and you could argue this has been going on for much longer than that, obviously. But it, it, it can't have been. Awesome and cool 60 days ago on principle on, on principled grounds and terrible and Hitlerian now. And I, and I think that whiplash is just more than anything else, destroying the credibility of a lot of people that make a living trying to tell people what's going on. It's so hard to get past the hypocrisy sometimes of, of, of people complaining about executive power now, because in the end, they just care about the ends and what the policy is, not really the process itself, which is so important and, and so fundamental to how we're supposed to be running this country. You know, So the problem is, I might say, I'll go up and say, I am against weakening the filibuster at all. I don't care if it's a Republican or not. And then a, a Republican will say to me, well, Democrats are just going to blow it up anyway when they come back to power. Why should we be the ones who are idealistic about this? And it's sort of a cycle that just it corrodes the Constitution and it corrodes checks on power and balance in, in our government. And it's I think it's a tragedy waiting to happen because of, you know, Trump is not Hitler. But one day maybe there will be someone like Hitler or some kind of, you know, authoritarian, full blown authoritarian. And we're going to be in trouble because all of these uh, checks and balances have been completely corroded over time, and uh, I'm not I sure bring, how to fix that. I want to bring you back to we we're talk, talking about the debasing debasing of the discourse, which sounds like I'm being a little schoolmarmish over here or something. But there there is a, there is a whatever whatever we have to do to beat the other side, and and, and we can also discuss that this feels like it breaks down into a kind of political tribalism in a, in a way that people just it's like my side win your side lose it's like well why is that you know, that's that's not in and of itself right that's not necessarily a a goal that people should should have in this country just well my side wins and your side loses uh, but you mentioned uh, your feelings on Mitch McConnell shutting down see now I'm going to make us talk about Elizabeth Ward again Mitch McConnell shutting down rule 19 Marco Rubio gave the speech last night where he said look this in the Senate we have to we don't want to be like these countries where they're throwing chairs and fly kicks and elbows at each other in the, you know, in, in the well of their representative, you know, whatever their House of Representatives, their whether it's the the, the Duma, their Parliament. Uh, do you do you buy into that? I mean, it's because it sounds like you you don't like this rule, this this shutting down the discussion, um, and so. But wouldn't that mean then that the Elizabeth Warrens of the Senate could just get up and say whatever the heck they want about other members of the Senate? And is, oh. Isn't that kind of a bad thing? Or you don't you don't you don't buy that? Well, I. I, I... I wrote a column once, you know, advocating for bringing back dueling to bring civility back so that people won't say all <laughs> wow. the crazy things they say. Yeah, you know, I mean, you have to I'm going to have Amy pull that one for me. I got I got to read that one. All right, cool. Yes, it's called bring back dueling. But um, listen, I think that when you're in the Senate, there have to be some rules of decorum, like uh, you can't spit at the other person or call them, you know, uh, you know, just start yelling at them or call them names, you know, but I think that reading a letter uh, that was a legitimate part of a debate in 1986 about the person who, you know, is going to be the attorney general is within the legitimate bounds of of debate within the Senate or should be. I just think it's so arbitrary and that that whoever's leading the Senate can use it whenever they feel like, basically. Um, I'm not sure why senators need to be, uh, you know, uh, insulated from some some rough debate. It seems kind of ridiculous. So, 
I don't know. I feel, you know, I, I'm of two minds of it. You can't just have a free-for-all over there, even though one of the, some of those Taiwanese fight, you know, free-for-all brawls they have are pretty fun to watch. But, um, no, I don't want that. But, you know, this seemed like – I don't know why. I mean, it didn't make any sense. If you really want to shut Elizabeth Warren down, uh, this gave her far bigger platform than she would have had before. It, it, no one would even have known what she was doing if you didn't shut her up with Rule 17 or whatever it was called. David Harsani is a contributor to The Federalist. Read his latest at thefederalist.com. Uh, anything else you want to direct people to, David? I'm on Twitter at David Harsani. Is, is the nice. other place you can catch me? Yeah. All right. You're, you're not in the. You're not caught up in this crazy storm, right? Are, 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 where are you? You're in like Denver or something? Where are you? No, nah, I'm in. I'm in D.C. now. No. It's, oh, you're it's, DC a guy. Bit. Okay. Yeah, I did live in Denver for a long time, so I'm always interested in seeing how people freak out over a, you know a few inches of snow. You're in New York, right? Well, in D.C., so. because the, working for the federal government is like being in being in kindergarten. You still get snow days, so people get really excited about the it. Real snowflakes over here. Yeah, everything shuts down if they see any snow. Yeah, um, and if you try to get on the roads, everyone's driving 10 miles an hour as, the, as though the snow is is going to go through the windshield of their car and attack them. It's pretty It's pretty funny. I remember it. It was. Yeah, it was uh, it's not funny when you're stuck in it because you go really slowly. But <laughs> you're always we'll stuck. Stay safe. Right stay out of the snow. And, uh, and thank you for joining us, David. Always good to have you on. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Uh, team, phone lines are open. 888-900-3393. We will be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Team sponsor this half uh, this hour is uh, silencershop.com. You know the place to go for a silencer. This the simply the best option for your firearm uh, is to go to silencershop.com. You just go check it out. They have all of the testimonials, all the information you need there. Uh, you can check out their selection, see what they've got, and you make your choice. And then you can go through the process, getting the paperwork done. And at the end of it all, you'll have a silencer, which is always a cool accessory to make you really. Uh, Enjoy yourself out at the range more. You'll see it helps with hearing protection. It can help with accuracy. It looks cool. And once you've started firing with a silencer, you're going to be like, wow, I wish I'd been doing this all along. If you've already got one, well, you can go to silencershop.com and get yourself another one. So silencershop.com is a place to go. Help make the world a quieter place. Silencershop.com. Speaking of lawlessness and, and intermittent or inconsistent respect for the law and the Constitution, uh, it's fascinating to me that this pro this series of protests, including by the way, b- blocking traffic, is not a protest. It's a crime. Uh, we need to stop referring to blocking traffic as something that you're allowed to do. Uh, it, it's not. It is not okay. Um, you know, this is like: Am, am I allowed to go into a, a big office building and press the emergency alarm, the, the emergency alarm on all the different elevators so that they don't move, and just say, "Well, you know, I'm just." I'm just not letting I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm just not letting people move. Well, if you're stuck in a car, you can't go anywhere. So when blocking traffic is, is not something that we should be explaining away as just people exercising their First Amendment rights. It's illegal. It's wrong. Uh, but there's this protesters. Uh, there are these protesters down in Phoenix um, because this woman may be deported. Uh, I, I'm going to have to return to this and, and get maybe more into this in the next in the next hour. But this is a very specific thing. Um 
Um, this is a very specific, uh, you know, form of uh, disobedience that's going on here. Because immigration law, I mean, illegal immigrants and people who are here illegally just think that this is a law that they can, that can be ignored, that these laws just can be ignored, um, that, you know, this is something that is a, is a pick, is a la carte. You know, you can pick it as you like. You don't have to actually go along with all of immigration law. Some of it, immigration law that, that protects people who are here illegally or immigration laws that are favorable to people who are here illegally, those are great, but the ones that say that you got to go, um, th that's a problem. I mean, first of all, every, anyone who's here legally <laughs> under the law is not supposed to be here, so that's doesn't even really make sense. But you know what I mean, the, the processes that are in place that make it harder for someone to be deported or the enforcement priorities, we're always hearing about that. Uh, but there, there is really no respect on the left for the law as something that is independent of uh, politics. It, it just doesn't exist. There is nothing on the left that... Um, pushes them to respect the legal order of things without there being uh, without there being some political benefit to them at the end of it. And that's disheartening to see. It's it's, it's widespread. It's something that is um, very true when you look at the way that this continues to play out. And the again, hypocrisy, if if inaccuracy is the uh, great problem of the Trump administration so far. Some would say it's Trump lying, but I would say inaccuracy is a problem. Um, hypocrisy is the crippling problem that faces the anti-Trump opposition and the left because they're not adhering to principles on any of this stuff. So anyway, team, much more coming up. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We've got Matt Zeller with us now. He is my friend. He is a co-founder and CEO of No One Left Behind. He's a Truman National Security Fellow and an adjunct fellow at the American Security Project. He's an Afghan war vet and the author of Watches Without Time. I could spend the whole segment on his Phenomenal background, but we want to actually hear him talk. Mr. Zeller, great to have you, sir. Buck, my friend, how are you? I'm all right, man. You know, I'm just you know, trying to trying to keep my head down and uh, stay stay out of the snow in New York City. Although, as I was saying before, I, I like the snow because it silences the streets when there's this much of it. It's nice. I, uh, I wish we had snow down here in D.C. Uh, we were told we'd get at least a dusting, and it woke up to 50-degree weather with sun. So there you go. Oh, fair enough. So, Matt, I wanted you to tell, because you know about this this very well, and, and you, you work to get Afghan translators, those who have uh, who've helped the United States military, out of that country. Uh, and clearly with the executive order, there's been a big dust-up over this. I, I, my understanding is that one of the first issues they fixed, because they realized you, you, you can't, 
You can't ban translators from Iraq. Afghanistan wasn't a list, but you can't ban Iraqi translators from coming to the country. That's a that's a betrayal of those who uh, who have literally risked their necks, their lives for us. But what is the process like? I mean, I think people want to know that. I mean, right right now, irrespective of of the executive order, I mean, even before that, uh, what happens when when we have somebody who served with the U.S. military or who helped with the U.S. military as a translator? Who's an Afghan national? What, 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 how do you get them out of the country? How long does it take, and how does all that work? That's a great question, Buck. Uh, so let's start off with uh, what the actual application entails. I would argue that if you're an Iraqi or an Afghan and you're pursuing one of these visas, they're called a special immigration visa, and there's certain things that they actually have to do to even earn the privilege to apply for this that the moment you decide to attempt to work with U.S. forces is actually the day that you are, we begin vetting you for one of these visas. Uh, you know, it wasn't like if people walked up to our bases in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and yelled at the wall, hey, I speak English. And someone was like, yeah, here's a weapon. Go on patrol. Good luck. They were polygraphed as a condition of their employment. You, know, you and I have both been polygraphed, so we understand what that entails. It's, it's not an enjoyable process. And, you know, it's something that they actually had to undergo every six months as a, as a means of keeping that job. They had to basically be willing to undergo a polygraph at least every six months, but at any given moment. Um, their phone calls were listened to, their emails were monitored. And in many cases, we trusted these people so implicitly that, in fact, we did arm them and asked to go on patrol with Americans. Now, to, just to be able to submit the paperwork for an application, they have to get nominated for one of these visas by either a U.S. military veteran or a U.S. government civilian government, you know, official. Uh, that formal nomination has to list out in detail uh, a period of service no less than one year, but often over two years. Uh, they have to basically be deemed by someone like you or I, a veteran of these wars, as, a, as someone who has provided honorable and valuable service. And then they, the applicant themselves actually has to prove to the government that they're in duress for the service they provided. Now, that's just to get the State Department to even consider the application. If they're able to sort of check those two blocks, get the nomination from someone like you and I, and then prove they're in duress, the State Department does their best ability to actually look in the application and do an investigation around it to make sure that everything that the applicant is claiming is true and that through as many independent sources as they can bring to bear, they've been able to verify that what the applicant is saying on the paperwork is, in fact, the truth. And if they come to the determination that, yeah, it looks good, it looks like the person actually met the service criteria, and as a result of that, they're actually being hunted. And let's not be hyperbolic about this. They're being hunted by the very people we asked them to help us fight. At that point, the State Department says, as as far as we can tell, this person is worthy of a visa, but it's not up to the State Department to determine whether or not they pose a threat to the homeland. So at that point, the application is forwarded to every single three-letter agency that you would assume would be involved in this process. So the, you know, the CIA has to do their own investigation on every single person on the application. The FBI has to do an investigation. The NSA, the Department of Homeland Security, 
the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, even the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, has to do an investigation. The decision to let them have a visa and come to the United States must be unanimous, meaning FBI, CIA, NSA, they all have to independently approve for that person to come here. If even one agency says no, like let's say hypothetically FBI, CIA, NSA all say yes, but DEA for some reason says no, not only is that person who has applied for this visa barred from entering the United States forever, they're put on the no-fly list for the rest of their life. Simply put, if I'm al-Qaeda or I'm the Taliban or ISIS and I'm trying to send in operatives to America to attack us here, this isn't the visa program I'm taking advantage of. This is when, they, when the government talks about extreme vetting, this is it. This is what we can do. It's the best that we can do. We can't get any better than this type of vetting. And the proof is in the numbers. You know, since 2006, we've, we've welcomed over 43,000 of these Iraqi and Afghan wartime allies to our country. And they've come here and they've been nothing but productive, tax-paying citizens who, to a person, don't want to take advantage of government benefits and programs because to them it's an embarrassment. They want to come here and be productive members of our society and not feel like they need to receive a handout, a handout to make it. Uh, I would argue they're the ideal immigrant. And we ought to be you know, doing everything in our power to, to keep and honor that promise that we made to them. Again, they were told if they gave us a certain you know, level of service at a certain quality – we would do what was necessary to protect them if they suddenly find themselves in danger for that service. I, and I think, you know, as Americans, we're obligated to keep that, that promise. I mean, we're the good guys. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing is keeping our word? Well, I, I did think it was, uh, it was encouraging that the administration, as, as soon as it became clear that Iraqi tra- – and how they couldn't have thought of this in the first place, I, I don't have an answer for that. But as soon as it became clear that Iraqi translators were – covered under this uh, this temporary ban, uh, they reversed that, um, just as they also reversed the green card holders uh, being covered under the under the ban. Um, but I wanted to ask you, given that now people are, you know, there there was a, a moment in time where I think a lot of it was driven by members of the press who just were looking for a way to to show how poorly planned this was by the Trump administration. They were all highly, I'm sure you saw some of the stories, Matt, they were highlighting in the Post mm-hmm. and the Times and other places, uh, you know, well, this guy fought with us or this guy w- was was at our, our troop side and now he's banned from the country. So to turn that into a positive now, uh, there has been this attention given to translators, and I know that's what your organization does. Are, where where are we in this process now? And where where is the Trump administration on this? Is the Pentagon going to be streamlining this is there a willingness to to bring more over um, what's the what's sort of the, the state of play for what your organization deals with which is n- not leaving any of these guys behind it's still radio silence which is what completely surprised us like you'd think yeah you're absolutely right um 72 hours after they issued the ban and quite frankly after uh, a lot of your your listeners probably know this but we had 60 clients that were impacted by that. And people are probably thinking, okay, who cares? It's just 60 people. But think about that for a second. I mean, imagine if I told you, Buck, you've got to move to Cambodia forever. It's just not safe enough for you in America anymore. I mean, what would you do? You'd quit your job. You'd sell your house. You'd sell your things. If you had children, 
you pulled them out of school and you say your goodbyes. All of these people did those things. They didn't commit a crime. You know, they, we, they asked, we asked them to participate in a legal immigration process. They, they, they did that. They met every condition and every hurdle we threw at them. They didn't, you know, fly to Mexico and try to walk across the border like others, you know, we fear do. They didn't come here on a student visa and overstay their welcome or on a tourist visa and just not go home. They, they did everything we asked them to do. And then our response was to, I mean, I'm not making this up, pull a family off of a plane in Turkey and handcuff their nine-year-old kid and their seven-year-old son and send them back to Iraq like criminals because their only crime is they're trying to flee the people that are killing them for standing next to us. So I think, like, you know, I would hope that the administration has learned going forward that they need to have probably discussion about the immediate impact of executive orders and sort of think up a way to mitigate, you know, people who are already in transit that will be impacted by these things. And again, it was encouraging to see, you know, within 72 hours, uh, and quite frankly, I think with, you know, Secretaries Kelly and Mattis, you know, finally getting a little bit more insight into what the executive order set out to do, they were able to clarify that, you're right, Iraqis who have these visas should, in fact, be exempted. They've, they've undergone you know, the level of vetting. And I think that sort of proves my point. I mean, they wouldn't have extended this exemption if they didn't feel the SIVs already undergo extreme vetting to begin with. Um, what I would hope is that we now have an opportune moment where the country is paying attention. It seems, you know, that this has been reflective of what I've been saying for years. This is a bipartisan issue. You know, anytime this comes up for a vote in Congress, it passes unanimously in both chambers. I have yet to meet the American who says, nah, keep those people out. You know, this seems to be something everybody supports. So my hope would be that the, the administration would recognize this as an opportunity to, quite frankly, fix a bunch of problems that have existed going all the way back to the very beginning of the Obama administration. And that is there's currently a 10,000 applicant backlog just for Afghans. The majority of those people have had their applications pending since 2011. That's six years. Um, you know, we owe these people at some point a decision. And if that decision is no, that's, you know, I, I would, I would, I would be a little upset if it was no for everybody. Cause I think most of these people have earned their visas and should qualify. But if it's still a no, they ought to be at least be told that no, because then they can try to make other arrangements. And look, that's a pretty callous thing for me to say, cause really the only other arrangement they have is either they can stay in their country where they are right now and get killed, or they can attempt to walk to somewhere else where they might have a better chance of living. And if you're an Afghan, your options for walking are you can go north into Russia, in which case they pick you up and throw you into prison camps and you're never seen again. You can go to Pakistan and get killed by the Taliban and trying to cross the border, or you can attempt to go through Iran. And the Iranian Revolutionary Guard have a policy of hanging Afghan translators within sight of Afghanistan. They did it to the former British prime minister, uh, David Cameron's personal translator. The Brits wouldn't give him a visa, so he attempted to walk from Afghanistan to the UK. He got as far as the border crossing with Iran. They hung him from a crane. Uh, I mean, like, you know, these people don't have a lot of options other than us keeping our word. So we're actually hopeful, if anyone's from the administration is listening, I mean, we'd love to work you with on this. We're, we're told that the Congress is currently working on a something called the No One Left Behind Act. And while we're very honored that they would, you know, you know, you take uh, inspiration from our organization's name and sort of our guiding ethos. What we're hoping is that act actually accomplishes a couple of, 
demonstrable, tangible policy objectives. And they would be, you know, from my opinion, we need to basically make sure that every applicant in the backlog has a fair shot at a visa, meaning we, we should render a decision on these people at some point. Uh, we need to make sure that we have the requisite number of visas allocated. It turns out that even if all 10,000 of those people got approved for a visa, we only currently have enough visas authorized by Congress to issue 1,500 of them, which means 8,500 applicants. And by the way, it's one applicant per family. So that's not 10,000 people we're talking about. That's actually around 30,000 people because it's 10,000 individual applications, meaning 10,000 families, with the average family size being three people. So, you know, I don't think it would be – I don't think it would sit comfortably realizing that we're not only making these people run through a pretty sizable immigration gamut to get here, but we're then also requiring them to win a visa lottery. I, I, that's just – that wasn't the conditions and the terms of agreement we came to when we asked them to serve with us. We didn't say, listen, in addition to serving with us and having to prove that that service was honorable, you're also going to have to win a visa lottery. No, it, what we told them was, if you serve with us and you meet certain service criteria and you can pass extreme vetting, there will be a visa for you, not you'll be entered into a lottery and we hope you win. And so, Buck, the sort of whole, you know, what's the so what of all of this? Why should your listeners and the administration and others care? It's real simple. It comes down to two things. One, if we, God forbid, find ourselves in a future conflict and Let's be realistic. The chances are we'll probably fight another war at some point in our country's future. Don't we want to have as many possible best chances to win that conflict as we can muster? Well, look, the only reason I'm alive today is because the Afghan Muslim guy who is my translator shot and killed two Taliban fighters in a firefight nine years ago who were about to kill me. Now, when he was recruited, he believed the American people, and by extension its military and its government, kept it kept their word and i've asked them i said janice what if you didn't think that the americans were on matt we've only got about 60 seconds before they're going to cut us off here so i just want to bring you to a close go yeah. ahead yeah sure janice basically said to me he said look man if i thought that you guys didn't keep your word i wouldn't have fought with you well what happens to our future soldiers that we send god forbid to syria or to yemen or to libya or back into iraq and afghanistan if they encounter a population that says look we don't trust you how many more Americans are going to needlessly die because they didn't have at their critical moment of their life a local ally willing to defend and take care of them? And that's the whole point. We're trying to prevent... Matt, I want, I want to get you in touch with some... Uh, there's some we, should, we should talk offline. There's some Trump administration people I want to put you in touch with because I think this We'd is the time to, to move to on this. This is an easy solution. Yeah. It's an easy solution. Absolutely. You know, and it sells itself and it's good for the country and it'd be a good win for them. It allow them to. I agree. I agree, brother. I could talk to you about this all day, but literally the, the the machine is going to cut me off here. We're running into a hard break. No one left behind is your organization. Matt Zeller is the co-founder and CEO. Buddy, I'll call you off air. We'll talk about this. And team, we'll be right back. Thank you, the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Oh boy, uh, this is and, and it's funny. I wanted, I was thinking today that we're going to see a 
return to discussion of policy with the the Trump team. You know, we're going to see a a return to discussions of issues that really matter to the American people. But nope. I mean, that might happen a little bit. And I'll try to get into some of this tonight. And we'll look at uh, tax cuts and all of the things that the the Trump administration can do that look I mean tax cuts it's funny it's not a sexy topic except it is in the, in the sense that it affects all of us um, it would be really nice to not have to pay so much in taxes uh, to be I'm one of those people because a fair amount of media work you get paid without being an employee so you just get a check for you know, whatever it is that you're doing you're paid as a contractor and so I have to write a check to the government uh, on tax day or you know, in time for tax day. And that changes your whole perspective on things. It really does. Having gone from being a federal government employee where you just had withholding and it was, you know, I'd get a check back from the government. Oh, this tax thing isn't so bad. It's, it's, it's a surprise savings that you have, right? I mean, you don't think of it as the government just, just bleeding you dry through the course of the year and then giving you a little shot of your own blood back at the end as a, you know, thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, But that's really what's happening. And when you have to write that check, uh, for your for your time as a contractor, it really changes it really changes your perspective on all this. Uh, so it, it matters so much of what we talk about in politics doesn't really matter. I mean the the effect of of prison of the Bureau of Prison Management's transgender policy for inmates doesn't. I mean at least hopefully not anytime soon uh, doesn't have any effect on on my life really. But it's still an interesting thing maybe to talk about, although maybe not. Uh, but taxes affects all of us. It affects our businesses. It affects our bottom line. It affects our ability to provide for our families and our children. And, uh, you know, assuming I had those things, which I don't. But I digress. Um, I have family, just not my own family. And, uh, yeah, so taxes, we, we could talk about that. Or we could talk about how Ivanka Trump's clothing brand got a shout-out from Kellyanne Conway Standing in front of the White House, on the White House lawn, during a news interview about news, and now watchdog groups are saying it's an ethics violation. And i got to tell you, this might be. The Buck Sexton Show, on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Today we're joined now by our friend Adam Crato. He's a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. Going to bring us up to speed on all things in the world of national security. What's up, Mr. Crato? How are you, sir? It's a pleasure to be with you. Great to be with you. Let's talk. Trump administration eyes opportunity to squash Iran, China, North Korea missile threats. What is going on here on FreeBeacon.com? Yeah, I find this to be an interesting one. Look, for too long, we've had missile defense systems based in the U.S. that um, are aging, that have been beset by problems. And I think the time is now in Congress to ask for funding to really boost this type of defense. Look, the Iranians we know every day are testing ballistic missiles, are um, trying to advance their reach across the globe. The North Koreans have been doing it for some time, and other rogue actors such as China and other countries already have the capability, even in Russia. So how do we do this defensively? I think the eye in Congress is to finally build some sites on the East Coast that could provide missile defense and rework what we already have by providing full funding. 
And from what I can tell with the Trump administration and the national security members that I spoke to, they fully support this type of effort. Nice. So what will it take to get this thing going? Money. I mean, honestly, money. Um, It's really about funding. So when the president puts out his budget uh, where the Obama administration did not fund certain programs, like I mentioned, the East Coast Missile Defense Site, things of this nature, they're hoping that the Trump administration does. So, look, this is not just an Iranian threat or a North Korean threat. There's a much larger gap. Um, Essentially, from what I can tell in this letter, the lawmakers are saying to Trump, we started doing a lot of things in the 80s under Reagan. I mean, we all remember the top line of Star Wars and this type of thing. But look, technology has advanced uh, wholesale, and we're now in a position, especially with the technology that the Israelis have built, to put in missile defense that works. Um, I read just earlier today that Israel's missile defense system intercepted rockets from Egypt and Gaza and areas in the Sinai. So look, this stuff works. Why not put it in America? Let's talk about CNN comparing lightning strikes to uh, breaking terror attacks. What's this? All about? <laughs> um, I can. I, I, by the way, it doesn't surprise me. As somebody who worked over at CNN, uh, after every terrorist attack, the, the, the games that were played over there were always, we can't tell what the motive was, but he said on video why he did it. We can't tell what the motive was. Let's not jump to conclusions. Islamophobia is the real enemy, and maybe we should ban yeah. guns. But he used a truck. We should still ban guns. That's the way it went over there all the time. Well, look, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I, I do find it frightening. I, I don't think we should ever make light of terror attacks, but there is something wildly silly and bizarre about a CNN anchor, the person who's supposed to present a realistic vision of the world to you, uh, for this person to get on television and say, well, look, lightning strikes kill the same amount of people as terrorism in the United States, I think um, does a disservice to the viewer. Um, Maybe that's true statistically, but I think we know statistics never give you the full picture. Terrorism is something that is willed. Terrorism is something that is ideology and based in reality. Lightning strikes happen to be random. And like Congressman Sean Duffy said, who happened to be interviewed at the time on CNN, he said, look, If the government could legislate against lightning strikes to save lives, we probably would, but we can't. Terrorism is something we can actually address. Now, the kicker on this, um, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, the kicker on this, right after this interview where they made the lightning strike comparison, they cut to a breaking terror attack. 20 people murdered in Kabul as a result of a terror attack. Yeah, I I think it's interesting that that on the one hand, they'll tell us that terrorism is not that big a deal and we're we're over uh, we're we're overemphasizing it in this country and and yeah. you know, whenever we talk about taking action to defend the homeland that's the tack that the left will take that's the tack that they'll take and then they also tell us well we don't spend you know what about terror attacks overseas there's so many of them and they're ignored well well which is it is terrorism a, a smaller problem or a bigger problem than we're led to believe it seems like they they change with any given day they do, and I can actually tell you the reason that I think this is the case. I think um, very much the left wants to make terrorism a public relations battle, whereas terrorism does not operate that way. It is indiscriminate, and it kills people across the globe on a constant basis. So to create the perception that terrorism 
is either random or maybe it's because it's a reaction to the U.S. or other Western countries, I think does a real disservice to Americans. Uh, look, we, we never want to create the perception that we're living in an emergency state, right? But safety, I think the idea of safety has become a very important concept, not just here in America, but also in Germany and other places where in Germany we see gun sales skyrocketing like they never have before. That's because people feel unsafe. And the reason for that happens to be terrorism. So why not address it on a policy level where we can actually prevent this rather than creating a narrative that really doesn't comport to the reality on the ground. What do you think of the uh, report yesterday that Iran uh, fired off another missile? Look, it it doesn't surprise me. I know it's big news um, here in America and that people pay a lot of attention to this, but honestly, it does not surprise me. Under the Obama administration and even before, the Iranians were test firing, testing technology, things of this nature, all as part of their ballistic missile program. So this is going over there um, on a daily basis. They are doing this. Um, So I on one hand, I find it surprising when the media wants to finally pay attention to the Iranians doing things like trying to launch a missile towards Tel Aviv or potentially launch a missile towards the United States. Um, I find it surprising when people uh, find this to be breaking news, because honestly, it's happening every day. The only difference is that the Obama administration never enforced the sanctions already in place on this behavior. And the Iran deal going forward with the Trump team now in charge, what do you think happens there? What what are your expectations for how they're going to handle the framework that has been passed on to them by uh, the Obama squad before them? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a, it's, it's a conversation I have on a daily basis, honestly, with the White House and other sources that I kind of communicate to about the issue. Um, as far as I can see, I don't think the Trump administration has an appetite for wholesale dismantling the deal. And I actually happen to agree with that. I think that's a bad idea. We already have an architecture in place that the Iranians are Um, at least somewhat beholden to. I think we build upon this and we do this with sanctions and we do this in other ways. The Iranians will uh, routinely whine and cry that sanctions are illegal under the nuclear deal. In fact, they are not. The Iranians, um, if you can believe it, are lying about that. The Iranians will say ballistic missile testing does not violate the nuclear accord. In fact, it does under the United Nations resolution 2231 that codified the nuclear agreement and set the parameters uh, legally for it, ballistic missile tests violate the deal. So we need to have a stomach for telling the Iranians they are wrong and they are lying. The Obama administration did not do this. I am hopeful that the Trump administration will. And I think we've seen this from Michael Flynn and others I've spoken to that in some sense, the gloves are off. Also on freebegin.com, Congress moves to cut immigration to the U.S. by half. I, I, I read about this a couple of days ago. Uh, is this yeah. What are you hearing from your White House sources on this and, and from Congress? Is this really going to go forward? Uh, well, uh, look, I think that it comports, one, with the Trump administration's own uh, vision of immigration, right? We saw the executive order halting immigration from these countries that are really hot spots for terrorism or 
have a majority where terrorists exist. I think that this immigration bill has a lot of top line items that are not particularly controversial. I think that it's easy to get lost in the statistics that halting immigration by 50 percent and halting the entrance of refugees by 50 percent sounds like a lot. But in fact, if we look at the numbers historically, this brings us down to probably where we were in the mid 2000s. Uh, we've had an explosion of immigration over the past couple of years. And really, I think what Cotton and David Perdue and the Senate are seeking to do is just bring this down to where we have been um, historically and also give our security apparatus a chance to rebalance, a chance to figure out how to properly screen people, which we were not doing under the Obama administration. So uh, I see this easily winning support, honestly, even among Democrats. Adam Credo is a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. He is at K-R-E-D-O-0 on Twitter. Zero. Mr. Credo, great to have you, sir. Thank you for joining us. It is always my pleasure, sir. All right. you got to come hang out on the night show, too. Get ready for that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Talk to you soon, buddy. Uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. We'll be back right after the break. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh boy, this is now going to be a thing. Um, there's no way around it. So Kellyanne Conway, senior advisor or counselor, or whatever her title is to the president, uh, she was on Fox and Friends, and she was uh, talking about the dropping of Ivanka, the first daughter's clothing line. And this is this is what Kellyanne Conway said. Play it. I do find it ironic that you've got some executives all over the Internet bragging about what they've done to her and her line. And yet yet they're using the most prominent woman in uh, in Donald Trump's, uh, you know, most prominent daughter. And and they're using her, who's been a champion for women empowerment, women in the workplace. Uh, to get to him. Just, so I uh, think people can see through that. 30 go seconds. buy Ivanka's stuff is what I would say. I'm going I'm well, to go hate shopping. I'm going to go get some on myself today. Uh, I own some of it. I fully, I'm just, she went on to say later, by the way, I just played that one sound for you. She wanted to say, this is, it's a wonderful line. I own some of it. I fully, I'm just going to, going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today, everybody. You can find it online. Okay. Again, I don't care, but now we're all going to be made to care. Um, and if somebody was, you know, running, you know, if if President Obama had been out there saying, uh, go buy Michelle Obama's clothing line, let's just say if she had one, which she didn't, I'm just making up a theoretical here, uh, we would have been upset about that, right? I mean, let's let's not all pretend like we wouldn't have said that that was weird. And and now, of course, that's President Obama. Kelly and Conway's not the president. I get that. Here's the the Federal Register rule, the ethics rule, 
um, use of public office for private gain. An employee shall not use his public office for his own private gain, for the endorsement of any product, service, or enterprise, or for the private gain of friends, relatives, of or persons with whom the employee is affiliated in a non-governmental capacity, including non-government organizations. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I mean, now we're going to get into a did she endorse Ivanka's product line? I, I mean, God, the answer is yes. The answer is yeah, she did. So, what is she going to have to apologize now? But this just gives, this is going to give the left a thing. This is going to give them a bone to chew on for for the next forty eight hours. And again, the Trump team is I don't know. Maybe they when they're playing defense, they're really on offense. Maybe that's how they view it. You know, this is like the four D chess thing people say about Trump. But they're going to spend the next day or two now dealing with this. And this is where people like me have a problem sometimes. I'm not going to get up there and say, I'm not going to go on radio and whoever's listening to me across the country tonight and, and tomorrow and here. Uh, I'm not going to say that what Kellyanne Conway said doesn't seem on its face to be a clear violation of government ethics rules because, well, everybody, it clearly seems like a violation of government ethics rules. I mean, if you change the if you change the actors here, if you change the people involved, I think that we would all understand that this would be something that Republicans, conservatives, uh, people across the board would be uneasy with. Now, look, is this uh, is this the end of the world? Is this some huge, uh, huge scandal? I mean, should people be frog marched in handcuffs? Of course not. Right. This, that's and now you get into the, the, the problem of defending something that you're really just defending the exaggeration of it or the overreach around it and. Instead of being able to just focus on policy issues that matter, but so that, that's where we are with this. I mean, this is now going to be a thing, and you're going to have some of the Trump team saying that nothing that Kellyanne Conway, because they, remember they never apologize, they never back down. That's their way, and I know that some Trump supporters are okay with that, even though they know that it's intellectually not really always defensible. Um, it's a means to an end situation. But you're going to have some of the Trump team that say that nothing that Kellyanne Conway did here is strange or is a problem. And, you know, that's a problem for the rest of us who want to be honest about all this stuff and will be honest about it. are going to sound like we're you know, buying into the Democrat line here. But it's just, it's just what what an unnecessary. It's so frustrating. They have so much. I mean, I know it's only three weeks in. And they have so much power and authority and they could do such good for this country. And I think they want to. That's why it's not like I'm sitting here like, oh, Trump. He doesn't. I think he wants to do really good things for the country. I do. And I think he still can. And I think he will. But these sorts of this, this is just this is unnecessary. It's a it's a distraction and it's an own goal. And they got to tighten up the ship a little bit. I mean, this this is not good stuff at all. All right, team, 6 Eastern tonight, 6 to 9 on American Now Radio, AmericanOutRadio.com. To listen, Shields High. Till then. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.